Well, today we're going to talk about what it means to be a doer of the Word of God. I'm going to lay a foundation on what James chapter 1 is all about, and I trust that your heart will be enriched as you see what it's all about. James chapter 1 is all set in Judaism and speaking to Jews, speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel that was scattered, as well as it, it is founded in that old traditions, as well as on the truth of the new. And if we don't understand the settings of this, the new kingdom of God, we will read that and it will bring guilt to our hearts, it will bring the law, it will bring condemnation, and as it brings those things, it will bring forth sin, death, frustration in your life. So it is very important to understand these things. Uh, we need to understand, and I say it almost in every program I make, that the understanding of the Word of God plays a vital role in fruit-bearing. We need to understand. Now we can't say understanding is always everything because there are people that still see fruit without understanding the depths of uh, what the whole context of things and so forth. They just believe in Jesus. Yet we find the Apostle Paul praying all the time that people will understand because what I see uh, is in the mind of Paul is that understanding makes you bear more fruit as well as it keeps you in the good news. The weakness that there was in my life just after I received Jesus as my Savior years ago was that I didn't have understanding. And because I didn't have understanding, although I was bearing fruit by simple faith in Jesus, I could easily be deceived. I could easily be drawn away by false doctrine, drawn away by the opinions of people. But now that understanding has come to me, I find that I am not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that maturity has come to my life. And I also believe that it's important to continue to fellowship uh, and study and have an open heart about this good news because as we do that, we are just seeing that this truth is uh, confirmed, uh, one confirmation upon the other confirmation, and as that happens, we find strength and stability come to our lives, and we find that this fruit that the gospel brings forth is also much more stable uh, and abundant in our lives. Now, I want to read a passage here in James, and this passage has brought guilt to many people's lives just because of a lack of understanding. Let me read it. It says here in verse 21, this is James 1 verse 21, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls or save your lives. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if you be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, you are like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholds himself, and goes away, and straightway forget what manner of man he was. 
but whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now I remember when I first read James chapter 1 verse 21 where it says, Wherefore lay lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. What I understood by that was that if I have any form of sin in my life, I'm not saved. Because it says here, lay apart all filthiness and all naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But he was just writing to Christians here. James 1 is written to Christians. He says here, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greetings. Then he goes on, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. So he's talking to people that are believers, that are scattered, and as they are scattered all over of these twelve tribes, Christians inside the Jewish nation, these believers, as they are going through difficult times, he comes and he encourages them to stay in the grace message, not go back to the law. And now he goes, as he speaks to believing Jews, he comes and he says here, lay apart all filthiness and all overflow of wickedness, basically, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So it was like a contradiction to me because it says that the word is engrafted already, but it also says that my this will be able to save my soul, and the way I understood that was this word is going to take me to heaven. So if I want to go to heaven, I need to get rid of all filthiness, and I need to become now and not deceive myself, because if you think that you are going to enter heaven with sins in your life, because it says here, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. Um, <clears throat> for if any man is a hearer of the word, not a doer, is like a man beholding his natural face in the mirror, he beholds himself, he goes away, and, and he forgot what kind of a man he was. So this was a really a, a word that could bring so much frustration, frustration, condemnation and also an underlying emotion of guilt that was never God's plan for us. Now, uh, to continue in this, I want to just lay a foundation on what is going on here. What's going on in James 1, and we're going to look at the different passages is, he's actually saying to them, that they should turn away from this temptation to go back to Judaism and that it is not God leading them to go back to their old roots, to go back to the old way of doing, the old law system wherein they have to follow customs of Moses and have their confidence in being Jews. There is no confidence in the flesh. The only confidence we can have is in the flesh of Jesus and his resurrection power. But there's no confidence. Paul says, I said, I've got no confidence in the flesh. Meaning that um, when it talks about salvation, the preservation of his life and the fruit of the Spirit, he has no confidence in the fact 
that he is a Jew and he's got no confidence, there's no surety in his heart that he will be saved and that his life will be preserved because he's a Jew. He's got no confidence in that. Yet sadly today, and I'm a bit off the point here, but in the church we find that the church is very confident that the Jews will be saved because they are Jews. Paul had no confidence in the flesh. And when Paul talked about the flesh, he was talking about a system wherein people believed upon the fact and or had their confidence in the fact that they were circumcised and thereby, through the circumcision, they could lay claim of the law and then through the law have access to eternal life and to the reign of the Messiah. You know, some of the early Christians, (coughs) they believed uh, Paul was one of them, a very radical Jew, a radical Pharisee. Uh, you know, you've got two schools basically um, back then. Those that believed that we should uh, propagate and share Judaism and as people believe upon this, then it will bring peace to the world. Then there were others that said, and Paul was one of them, and he was very radical, and he said, no, we need to obey the law, and all those who are not obeying the law, they are bringing basically a curse to us, and let us just either get them to repent or they must die. They must be completely put out of the way. And that's what he did with the Christians because he thought that these Christians are now uh, breaking, ending the way of God. And that's what he was doing. His whole mindset was Jews, Gentiles, to the Jews were given the law. The law was the perfect code unto Uh, eternal life and the resurrection and it was should it be obeyed it would usher in redemption it would usher in the Messiah that is what Paul believed and many of the Pharisees of that time now remember amongst those Pharisees were a radical group and a not so radical group Paul was part of the radical group he said that we need to enforce this law and those who don't want to obey it we must follow the customs If you find somebody that blasphemes, you stone him. And we can see how he was consenting to the death of Stephen when Stephen was stoned. And I'm sure that Paul witnessed the deaths of many Christians as well as many non-Christians which would not obey the law. And um, if if Saul would catch you, commit fornication or... um, beat your father or any of those things, he would see that you die. That was the kind of person he was back then because they believed that there was a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God had to come through the Jewish people and it had, it, it had principles and this kingdom principles was found in the law. Now, <clears throat> when we go to Isaiah 43 verse 18 and we look at the New Testament, we also look at Uh, places like Philippians, Ephesians, we look at Colossians, some of the things I I read last week, Uh, we look at Revelation, we find a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. And I'm going to read Isaiah 43 to you. It says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, I wanted to add in verse 20 there, but I don't, I 
I didn't copy and paste it here. But let me quickly go there. We're going to go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, <coughs> and this will, I think if you, as we start to understand this, it will just bring a, a great peace to your heart to see what happens in James there. Isaiah 43 and verse 18, it says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now listen to this. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. And as you read this, he's coming and saying, I'm doing this brand new thing, and I will bring uh, waters to my people and all of that. And I can imagine the Jews reading this and being very happy. And then he says, But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, but you have not been wary of me, O Israel. So what he's saying is, he's actually saying, I am making everything new. The way you think God and man relates through a physical temple in Jerusalem, through a nation and then the law given to this nation and God speaking to this nation, God through this nation, uh, this nation being salt to the earth and a light to the world. He says, I'm changing all of that. I am making a new people. And this is, and this is what he's talking about when the Bible says, Behold, I will do a new thing, now shall spring forth. We've used that passage many times in our prophetic words. And we have said, Behold, I, will, I bring forth a new thing. And then we use that scripture thinking that that scripture is fulfilled in God maybe giving somebody a bigger ministry or God giving somebody a new car or God healing someone or something like that. Not that I say that we cannot have prophetic words of God bringing forth new things that year. But that is not what the passage, the original passage refers to. The original passage refers to a brand new kingdom where there is no more Jew, no more Gentile. Now this is very important to understand when it, when it comes to James chapter 1 because you will not understand what it means when the Bible says that we must be doers of the word. We will confuse the word. We will, we will have no definition of what naughtiness means. We will have no definition what, what uh, wickedness means or any of those things. We will just define it in what we thought it would be according to our definitions of the 20th century on what we would think these things are, but not according to the understanding that the Jewish people would have had, especially those that James wrote unto. So here he comes <clears throat> and he says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Uh, shall you not know it? And we know that when Jesus came to the earth and he was walking upon the earth, he says, I came unto my own, but my own received me not. They couldn't see me for who I really am. But I was found of a people who did not seek me. And then we find the, the people group that God is talking about. 
this people group that God is talking about uh, does not consist out of eth- uh, uh, ethnicity. The foundation is not ethnicity, neither the law, but the foundation is simply God coming and uniting both Jew and Gentile and then taking this one new man, meaning he's made something new. He's taken the old and then he made something new. There was an old man and then there's a new man. Who and what is the old man? The old man, we normally thought, was the man that sinned. But that is not what Paul refers to when he talks about the old man. When he talks about the old man, he talks about the man that stood before God based on the law. That includes Jew and Gentile, where there was a thing like a Gentile, where there was a thing like a Jew, where there was laws and rules and regulations, circumcision, honoring of the flesh, and the whole understanding the people had of that time. God said, I'm ending that. I'm killing the Jew. I'm killing the Gentile. I'm taking their death. I'm taking who and what they are. They are sinners. I'm taking those sinners into me. And then as the representative of all, both of these people groups, he died, dying away the old. And then in his resurrection, he brought forth one new man. And that new man is the man is the the message of the truth of eternal life. That truth that is preached, we find the early church people get born from that truth. And as as they were born from that truth, life came to them, uh, fear for death left them, they became kind and good. Uh, The weapon of their warfare was basically love and not the sword. It was kindness that flooded people and... uh, Things like contentment, uh, generosity, love for people flooded the, flooded the early church. That's what took place. They were born from this truth that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Yet it was difficult for some of the people to believe, especially if you are now persecuted for this truth. But we'll get more into that a little bit later. Let me just get to uh, Revelation 21 verse 5. Revelation 21 verse 5 and um, we're not going to rush through this. We're just going to take our time. Revelation 21 and verse 5. This is what it says. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now listen to what he says. This is now a prophetic fulfillment of what is written here. He says, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and are faithful. Now, if Jesus says to John to write, for these words are true and they are faithful, it means that we need to take note. And we need to say, what, what is he about to say? What is this awesome truth? This is supposed to, when he says, right, for these words are true and faithful, it's supposed to hit, hit you like a sledgehammer. And then he says, and he said unto me, it is done. <laughs> everything that, I'm here to make everything new. Now, 
Write this down. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that thirsts of the fountain of water of life freely. So, when we take that back to Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43 says, basically that I will do a new thing and I will bring forth water in the desert. And then it talks about the new people group. And this people group is made out of, made up of the believers. And what he's come to do is he included Jew and Gentile, all people in Jesus when he was upon the cross. All people he included in there. And then he now wants to reconcile this new man where there is neither Jew or Gentile unto the very life of God. And that is what I think the next, next passage says there. Now, first let's go to Isaiah 65, 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So what he says is that the old way of doing, the old law-based way, where there was the difference between these people groups, he says he will bring forth a new heaven and a new earth, a new foundational principle from where everything in the earth manifests in the physical to the point that there will be no remembrance of the old. This is what he says. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now, we are already seeing in the church today a moving away from the law and all those kind of things. But it will be to the extent that it would not even come to mind in anybody's mind ever. So that's the, that's the way we are going. Sadly, we are thinking and where we don't understand what God is doing, we are thinking of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem and all those kind of things. I want to tell you, even if that temple is rebuilt and broken down again and rebuilt again and broken down again, it will never be the temple of God. The true temple of God is you. And the stones he built with is living stones. That is what he is building. And you are now the meeting place of heaven and earth. You are the place where the glory of God can be seen. And the glory of God is seen in the long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, patience that God has towards humanity and manifests in us by His doing and not the work of the law. All of this glory is accessed by simply believing what Christ has done. But as we stick to the old, we will find that we are powerless in the new. Right, <clears throat> let's go on. Um, Ephesians 2.15, he says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so make, making peace. So what is he saying? God has come and he's come to make one new man. No more Jew, no more Gentile. Glory to God. Amen. Now I want to challenge you. If your theology is still based on Jew, Gentile and those kind of things, I want to tell you, you're missing it. You are missing it. It is not the way you see things. It's outside of the parameters of what the Apostle Paul believed and wrote down and what God has come to do in the earth. And we need to understand that. And James, when he talks about being doers of the word, we're going to take the next 20 minutes and, and explain this. 
We talks about being doers of the word. He talks about actually about grabbing a hold of this truth and living in it. Amen. Ephesians four verse twenty four, and to put it says, and we are to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in true holiness. Hebrews eight thirteen, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So I want to say to you, 2,000 years ago, the Hebrew writer said that the Jewish way of doing things is already growing old and it is ready to vanish away. And then we find the temple being destroyed and a massive vanishing taking place. Do you know what was going on in the Jews' heart when they knew the temple would be destroyed? It was absolute havoc to them. Because they believed that the temple, the most holy place, was the only portal. They actually believed that, this is what the Jews believed, that the most holy place is heaven on earth. That is what it is. It is the very portal through which or wherein God sits. It is that awesome place where the physical and heaven comes together and where there's that strange place of manifestation where the spiritual can be seen in the physical and vice versa and where we can actually draw life from. And should that be destroyed, it would mean absolute havoc to the Jews. And Jesus prophesied that. And he came and he prophesied it powerfully. He says, and he said that there will not be one stone left on the other in this place and it was completely broken down and he tried to warn the Jews not to try and protect the temple and stand in the flesh for should they do that they're going to be destroyed with that temple and he was crying out and he was the Jews didn't listen but the Christians who did believe they ran away and didn't try to find value in that old system and their lives were spared but it was difficult for the Jewish people. And that is the foundation of James chapter 1. Now, let us go to James chapter 1 now. <coughs> and we're going to look at what's taking place here. James chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally, and doesn't look back to the old. That's the word abradeth there. I mean, abradeth is not a word that we use today in English, but abradeth means takes no account of the past. Now, can you see how James comes here? And what is... What is this thing already? You see the, that hint to where this thing is going. He's coming, he's saying to them, listen guys, you are now believers and you are persecuted by Rome and you are persecuted by your own brothers. You are persecuted by the Sanhedrin. You are persecuted by the high priest. You are persecuted by these people and you are now scattered abroad and you know the havoc that came to Jerusalem already and the tension that there was building around uh, this Jesus that was raised. You believed upon him. Now you find fruit and now you are being excommunicated. People not doing business with you anymore. Uh, some of you are facing being beaten and 
severely persecuted. But now he comes here, he says, listen, I want to encourage you. When count it joy, don't stress. I want to say that count it joy. The best words in today's language is don't stress. He says, don't stress when you fall into temptation. That word temptation there talks about the trying of your faith or the proof of um, the proof of your faith. Okay? The authentication. Is this real or not? It says when you come to a place where you now have to actually fall into a temptation where do you really believe in eternal life? That God can give you eternal life. When you are now put in a place where that faith must now manifest in the physical, he says, don't, don't worry about that. When people persecute you and they want to kill you and those kind of things. It says, knowing this, that when your faith gets put under pressure, when, when you get tested, not by God, but by the people that are persecuting the church, because God tests and tempts no man. Amen. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, I remember when I read that, I thought, well, God wants me patient, so if He wants me patient, He's now going to put me through tests. I think that is a very, very uh, um, shallow understanding of the passage. What He's actually saying here is, listen, I don't want you to stress. It, to stress. When persecution comes, when you are in the heat of it, there will be a supernatural power inside you that will strengthen you to continue in the faith. And what I want you to do is not to give up on the gospel and the good news because you are afraid of what will happen should persecution come. And you might say, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm in the middle of it. And that is what he is addressing here. He says, listen, when you are inside that difficult time, God will strengthen you with patience. Patience is my, my definition for patience is the ability to stick to the gospel. He says he will do that. Amen. And then he says, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. So what he's saying basically is, as you believe the gospel, don't be afraid of what's going to take place. Because if you are afraid of what is going to take place now, you think, oh well, I'm not going to make it. I'm just giving up on the gospel now. I'm going back to Judaism. I'm asking God advice. I think God gave me good advice. What God told me to do is just go back and uh, accept circumcision, accept the law, accept all the old things. And that is what James is now addressing. He says, man... God will strengthen you and as you stick in this gospel and in his strengthening, you will be entire wanting and lacking nothing. Because you know with the Jewish people, they were so much afraid of losing their money. That was one of the things here. Um, now in verse 5, it says, And if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do in that time, or if you don't know now what to do about this, what will happen, it says, Let him ask of God that gives to all men Liberally, that word liberally means from liberty. Now, what was defined as liberty to these early church people? They had the word that they were liberated from death and sin by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now he is saying to them, listen, if you want to have wisdom in that difficult time, go and ask God who gives to all men liberally or liberty. Freedom. 
It's all about this freedom. It's all about this new thing that happened, this message of the resurrection. Then he goes on, and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. He says, so when you go and ask God wisdom, know that he will always give to you liberally. In other words, he will walk from this new law of liberty, which we will see later on. He will give that to you, and then he will go on, and he says here, and he abradeth not. He will not take account of the past. He's not going to go back to the old law system. And the temptation that these people had was they were tempted to go back unto the old law system. They were, they were tempted to go back and find grounds and reasons for Judaism to be well and alive and for Judaism to, to still be part of the future. And they were tempted they were tempted. And then he goes on, he says here, listen, this temptation does not come from God. It is not a God thing. God is not behind it. He's not, orchestra- he's not the orchestrator of this. He is a life giver and he has not changed his mind. But the reason why this is a temptation for you is because there's still something in you that might love that old Jewish system. I've seen that in the church. I've, I've met many Christians. I know what I say is radical and might uh, get some folk upset. But hear, hear me. You know, there are so many folk that if you talk about, they would not say Jews are Christians. No, a Jew's not a Christian. He's a Messianic Jew. He's not a Christian. He's a Messianic Jew. It says if it's just a little step higher, and if you are true to your heart, True to the, your, your inner core, your, your being, ask yourself, do you, I mean I've seen so Christians many times, they study their surname to see if there's maybe not some Jew somewhere in their history, so they can feel a little bit closer to God. Now he comes here and he says, that is because that thing is in you, that's why going back to Judaism is tempting to you. Now, with all this in mind, <coughs> I cannot go through everything. We're going to run out of time here. He comes and he says, Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So what is he trying to say to these people? He's trying to say to them, God is not going back to the law. God is not going back to honoring the flesh of people. He has made everything new to the point that God cannot even call this in remembrance and that He is now going to bring humanity to that place. He's come and He's made of the two one new man and now His plan is to take this new man and reconcile him unto who and what God is. So God came and says, no more Jew, no more Gentile, Peace between Jew and Gentile. That's what was said when Jesus was born. He said, peace on earth. When he said peace on earth, he said, harmony between Jew and Gentile. There will be one new man. Peace on earth. Earth, goodwill, a good reputation now towards humanity. That's what he was saying. And now he comes, he brings forth the brand new man. And now the, this new man, the Holy Spirit comes and looks at who and what God is and, who, and, and how God lives, and the quality of His life, including immortality and eternal life. And now it's the job of the Holy Spirit to take this new man and reconcile him 
bring him into equality to this man seated in the Godhead. And that is the power that brings forth a brand new life in us. Should we not believe this, our hearts are not opened for the message wherein God said that he has taken all the two, made one new man, and now he will reconcile this man unto God. We will still have a mind that is low in understanding, a heart that's not completely open, and we will find what I would call partial reconciliation. You will not find this. And when I talk about that reconciliation, I'm not talking about saved and not saved. I'm talking about a manifestation of a new life. You will not find that fruit really want to kick in, if you want to call it like that. So, James knows that. And that is why he's coming. And he's saying to these people, God is not turning back. His advice to you is not from the old. He says, I don't want you to be double-minded, Judaism-minded as well as Christ-minded, mixing these things. No mixture. I don't want that. Uh, Why? He says, because you will be unstable in all your ways and whatever you will receive will not be from God and your life will be wasting away. That is what he is saying. And then he goes on and he says here that God has not changed. Verse 18, And of his will begot he us with the word of the truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creation. So now in verse 18 he comes and he says, Listen, you were born again and the new life you have comes from the word of the truth. The word of the truth is not the law. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. You see, truth is on grace's side, not on the law side. Here this, there is truth in the law, but the truth of the law is the prophetic word of what grace would be. Amen. <clears throat> it says this truth that Jesus was really raised from the dead and that there is now one new man The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has now become new. It's no more Jew, Gentile. It is God taking a man without that man observing the law. He takes that man solely by his doing, by his spirit, and he will manifest his brand new life in him. So reconciling him back to the very life of God. Amen. Now he goes on. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of a man works not the righteousness of God. Do you know what he's saying there? He was speaking to them, to these Jews. He says, you are now being angry with Rome. You are angry with these Gentile people persecuting you. The, the, the destruction of the temple is coming closer. Those things are starting to take place. And you can see all these things. Now you want to protect the temple. Now you want to go back to old Judaism. You want to find your life in that. It says, listen, your anger will never produce the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God was to see His kingdom manifest in the earth. So what he was saying is, you think by trying to protect the temple, you think by trying to protect the old Jewish traditions and those kind of things, you're going to stop persecution and you're going to overthrow the oppression that the Jews are under. He says, let me tell you something, the righteousness of God, which is to preserve man's lives, doesn't manifest through that. Then he says, wherefore lay down all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive, that word receive is is lambano, grab a hold of this word which is already in your heart, which you have believed, that your life might be preserved. Because should you go into war with Rome 
should you go into this, you're going to lose your life. That's what he's saying. Now you will have to go back to the beginning of the lesson and listen to this again. And you will see what this all amounts to. And then he goes on, he says, but be doers of, and I want to use my own word here, of the message of the resurrection wherein everything was made new and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on, he says, for a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man that looks at his natural face and then he forgets what kind of man he is. So what he's saying to them is, to be a doer of the word is somebody who says, the Judaism is over, everything became new, and I stick to this belief. That is a doer of the word. And to let go of naughtiness and filthiness is this filthiness of going back to the old way. Repent of going back to the old way, for there you will lose your life. For life is not in the law. Grace and truth came by Jesus. Amen. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Then he goes on, he says, for he beholds him, for if, if any man be a hearer and not a doer, who is a hearer and not doer? He who... Um, who sees his natural face and forget what kind of man he is. He who looks into what Christ has done and walks away and say, I'm still a Jew, or I'm a Gentile. For he beholds himself, goes away, and straightway forget what manner of man he was. But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberation, in other words, the law which says, Christ was raised from the dead, I'm liberated from sin, I'm liberated from death, and he continues to look therein, knowing that he is now a new man. He is neither Jew nor Gentile. Temple things are over. All those things are over. The temple is now inside me. I am the very temple. The kingdom is not coming with outside observation, but it is within me. And this kingdom then will manifest in me and through me by the doing of God. And so we will be a kind of a first fruit of what will happen to all of creation. I mean, that's what James is saying here. And then it says, a person who is not a forgetful hearer, but continuing this, will be blessed in his deed. What is his deed? It is the deed of beholding and not forgetting. Amen. Now it goes on, it says here, if any man of you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Well, I don't have time, I'm running out of time, but what he's saying there is, if you, if you have a religion, but you cannot bridle your tongue, what that means is, have a correction of your doctrine. That's what he's saying. Put a bit in your mouth. In other words, what you were saying is now, I, I wanted to say this, but now I'm steered in a different way by the death and the resurrection of Christ. A man who continues in the old, but cannot have his mouth, cannot, cannot have... His doctrine changed into the new. Your religion is in vain. You in vain doing the Daniel fast. You're in vain fasting. You're in vain putting the, the, the pressure over you. Doing all that in vain. Amen. If it's not from the perspective of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know this. It was not God testing the Jews. 
That testing means to be tempted to go back to the law. No, God can never tempt or test anyone for he cannot be tempted to re-inaugurate the law system. Can you see that? Know this, that God loves you. He's not come to bring a, 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 a life to you where it is difficult to have the fruit of the Spirit. He's taken it upon him to bring it to you. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our broadcast and I would like you to know that, <clears throat> that God loves you and he, he feels kindness and compassion towards you and He has come to make all things brand new. Remember what Jesus said there in uh, Revelation 21. It is done. It is finished. He is the Alpha and the Omega and He's now brought forth living waters for all to drink. Isn't that absolute good news? Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that I can stretch forth my hands and that I can declare that every, everyone that watches is blessed and embraced by you. Amen. Remember, God loves you and he holds him, you close to him. He will always love you and never cast you away. God bless.